This audio presentation was pre-recorded and edited for brevity and clarity. Hello, I'm Michael Buckley with the Bright Focus Foundation. Welcome to today's Bright Focus chat. Today's topic is AMD, all of your questions answered. If this is your first time joining us today, welcome. I'll briefly tell you about Bright Focus and how the chats work. Bright Focus funds some of the top researchers in the world. These are scientists who are trying to find cures and new treatments for macular degeneration, glaucoma, and Alzheimer's. We take the latest news from these scientists and share them with families who are impacted by these diseases. We do this through chats like today, as well as a number of free publications and materials that are available on our website, brightfocus.org. Let me tell you about today's chat. We are joined by pre, um, from North Carolina by Prithu Metu. He's a Duke University retina specialist. He's doing some great work on testing new treatments and new imaging technologies for age-related macular degeneration. Here at Bright Focus, we've been extremely fortunate to have the opportunity to work with Dr. Metu through our macular degeneration research program to support some of, some of his early stage research. So Dr. Metu, I'd like to welcome you to, to today's chat. I know we had the opportunity uh, earlier this year to, to, um, to, be, to work together. I was wondering if you could just tell the audience a little bit about yourself and, and what you do at Duke University. Well, Michael, thank you, and thanks for having me. It's great to be back with you again. Uh, so I am, as you mentioned, I am at Duke University. I am a clinician scientist uh, here at Duke. Uh, what that means is, is I, um, I wear a couple of different hats. Um, I, as a clinician, I have an active practice uh, taking care of patients with age-related macular degeneration uh, and diabetic retinopathy um, and uh, other macular diseases. And when I'm not in the clinic, um, I am in the lab, and my research program is focused on trying to identify uh, new uh, targets and new uh, and better ways to treat the uh, the subset of patients that have wet macular degeneration that aren't helped um, uh, optimally by our currently available therapies. Um, and then. Additionally, um, I'm involved actively in uh, clinical trials of, of new medications for macular degeneration, uh, as well as uh, uh, collaborating with and consulting with um, uh, organizations that are, are trying to develop uh, uh, new uh, new drugs and, and new devices for patients affected with these diseases. Wow, that, that's great. Thank you for, for uh, filling, filling us in on that. Just, just kind of before we get to some of the questions, out of curiosity, what made you want to become a doctor and a scientist? Well, um, I, um, I've, I've always. What drew me specifically um, to this role is that, um, you know, I saw that there was a there was a unique opportunity within ophthalmology that, you know, sight and vision is such an important um, part of of all of our day to day lives, and and most of us uh, who. You know, as, as we're going through our day-to-day -day lives, we sort of take that for granted. But when it's affected and it affects our day-to-day -day life, um, it really has a tremendous uh, impact on quality of life. And, and uh, in this role, uh, you know, I've been fortunate that you have an opportunity to directly impact patients, uh, you know, one at a time and taking care of them and and and, uh, and striving to improve their vision. And then um, through uh, discovering new knowledge and developing new technologies, the opportunity to change the way that, that we're able to approach disease and transform the care of these diseases. And, and, and I find, you know, that duality very, very fulfilling. 
Well, that's great. And I, I, I would agree. Dr. Matu, as, as you can imagine, um, a number of questions submitted today have to do with injections, um, injections in the eye to, um, to treat macular degeneration. So uh, a, a, several people asked, how soon will they develop a drug that's better than, than, uh, than current Current um, therapeutics to treat wet MD, and you know, specifically, will these make injections less frequent, or are we working toward a world where there are no eye injections? So feel free to take that anywhere you want in explaining the injections currently in the future. It's however, however you want to uh, uh, start that topic. Sure. So I think that question is a very good question, and it speaks to the problem of what we call treatment burden. Um, frequent, often monthly injections. Um, mean that uh, that patients have to be into their retina, retina doctor's office um, eight to ten times a year. Uh, that means the family member has to accompany them. That means that the doctor's offices have to have a way to accommodate them uh, and provide the necessary treatments. And that, that's it's a pretty heavy burden for patients and their families and and uh, for the the healthcare infrastructure. Um, the good news is I think that there are efforts underway to address that. Um, we know that. Um, uh, and that there is a drug that just recently finished, um, completed a phase three with some positive results. Uh, the drug's called brolocizumab. There's some indicators that it may um, it may allow less frequent dosing. Um, we're still waiting on on some additional data to kind of really understand um, how effective it will be for durability. Um, and then uh, there are a couple other efforts um, underway to develop a sustained release. Uh, uh, drug uh, develop, drug delivery approaches. Uh, there's one approach uh, with a surgical implant that where the drug can be the 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 drug can be refilled uh, to tr- and, and per- on a, on a every three month basis and and that just completed a phase two study so that's still in development. Uh, there are some earlier stage efforts underway uh, to develop a six to eight month uh, uh, drug delivery uh, device to kind of. Um, to, to, to decrease the need for injections. And then there's a couple of companies, one that's working on an eye drop uh, formulation uh, that, could, that the patient could administer on a daily basis. And, and then uh, there, there have been efforts underway uh, for, for like a pill medication that, that, that could be taken, though I think the most recent effort from a company called uh, Tyrogenics, that, uh, my understanding is that is um, on hold at the moment. Um, so, bottom line is is that there's a lot of efforts underway to address this larger issue of frequent monthly injections, and I'm and I'm uh, I'm very optimistic that uh, within the next several years that we're going to see one, if not more, of these modalities uh, come to the fore and help us uh, manage the, the 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 that for our patients. Yeah, well, that's great. That's very very encouraging um, signs of hope there, and I appreciate you using the phrase treatment burden because I think that that addresses so many parts of this, whether it's it's the patients getting transportation, uh, you know, to to your to a, a you know a medical a medical office, to you know the the healthcare system, Medicare and private insurance, and um, yeah, I think it, it sounds like it sounds like there are things in the works that would really help help all parts of that um, that equation. We had a question um, about injections, where someone says they've had four injections so far, and they don't seem to notice any difference. Is, it, is that something that that takes a while to, to notice, or uh, do you have thoughts about about that? Yeah, so I'll preface by saying, you know, every patient's an individual. So um, uh, 
the, the, what I'm about to say, take that with a little bit of a grain of salt because it, individual results will vary. But in general, uh, the visual benefit is, rec is recognized by the patient within the first three to four shots. Um, so if there hasn't been a substantial vision improvement after the first three to four shots, um, the chances of seeing a wow response after that point um, are, are less likely. Um, there are certain circumstances where, uh, you know, one particular medication that patient doesn't respond well to and maybe switching to another medication helps to, helps to kind of get over that, that hump. Um, or there are certain cases where the disease is, is, a, is a little bit more complex and requires um, some, some adjunctive uh, treatment approaches, and sometimes that can help for vision. But in general, uh, the, the vision benefit in terms of improvement is seen in the first three to four months. Um, that being said, I think it's important to remember that these drugs are, are ideally for improving vision, but definitely for maintaining vision. And, um, you know, we know that if the, if the, if the, the, the wet macular degeneration is not treated, the natural history is that patients will continue to lose vision. So the drugs, at a minimum, should, should be able uh, to maintain vision in most patients. Okay, that's interesting. Glad you mentioned that. Sort of, so, so kind of a realistic definition of success, if I'm hearing you correctly, would be kind of maintaining the status quo. Yeah, I think um, if you look at um, patients receiving therapy um, and um, patients who started off with um, what we call, um, a pa you know, the number of pa if, if you look at the trials and patients who had um, who were diagnosed and then subsequently started on, on these anti-VEGF medications, uh, the, the, up around two-thirds, 65 to 70% were able to maintain um, good visual acuity, meaning vision better than 2040. That's being able to see street signs or being able to read um, without too much difficulty um, if they were continuing to receive therapy. But again, that's, that's a population basis. Each patient's going to be different, and it's important um, to kind of discuss the specifics of your case with your doctor. Great. That's, that's good advice. I would, uh, at least for now, one more question about uh, the injections. We may go back as the questions come in. Uh, a caller was wondering, are there side effects to these injections? So in general, um, the, the main side effects that we are concerned about are, is a rare side effect, but the, uh, the side effect of infection. Um, that's Maybe happens about one in um, one in a thousand or one in fifteen hundred cases, um, and their doctors who administer the injections take approaches to minimize that risk. Um, that's the main thing that to, to sort of be aware of. Um, as far as the medications themselves, they're generally pretty safe. Um, we've we've had these drugs available now for about twelve to thirteen years, um, and the really the only thing. Um, that that uh, I talk about with my patients is uh, patients who've had a recent uh, stroke or a recent um, heart event. Uh, we talk about uh, you know whether it might be uh, prudent to kind of have a, a delay in, 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 in treatment or a drug holiday, if you will, uh, to let them recuperate because there's some thought that as these drugs get into the body, they they might have an effect on someone who's recovering from one of those events. Um, but in general, um, the, the medications are pretty safe. And in that kind of uh, on that point, uh, are these injections something someone could get indefinitely, or at some point do they lose their uh, uh, their vitality or, or, or purpose? Or is there any, any you know is it something that, that can can go on indefinitely, or is it a more of a fixed time window? 
So the good news is that they can be administered and, and received indefinitely. Um, and in fact, what I tell my patients who have wet macular degeneration is that um, that we're going to get to know each other pretty well because uh, <laughs> the the reality is that the the drugs help to manage the disease. They don't cure it. So patients, the vast majority of patients, need treatment for life. Um, and and the the now that we've got we've got there's multiple studies now been published that have shown that long term sustained treatment to keep the disease under control uh, is the best approach to for maintaining good vision. That when you back off treatment or under treat it, that's associated with a greater risk of losing vision. Well, great. Let's switch gears to stem cells. We have a few a few good questions from from our bright focus uh, constituency about stem cells um you know are there is there work are there work is there work going on in the stem cell area as far as macular degeneration and, and if you wouldn't mind in your answer just explaining what stem cell treatment you know the, what stem cells mean because i feel like it's something all of us hear all the time in the news but we might not actually know what a stem cell is um, so do, you, do you have anything you can update us on in the world of stem cells and and treating uh macular degeneration Sure. Um, so when it comes to stem cells, um, you know, the, they can be defined differently. But, gen, but in a big picture sense, you can think of these as cells that are, are um, uh, they're, they're, they are cells that, that haven't been, their fate's not been determined. That in the right setting, they can be programmed to, to, to assume any, a number of different cell types, to, to become a different cell type or, or to have a lot of different functions. And they can be obtained from different sources. Um, they can be obtained from umbilical, um, umbilical cells, uh, embryonic cells, um, from adult tissue, um, and also from, uh, from the bloodstream. Um, there are um, two different, <clears throat> so broadly, that there's really kind of two um, approaches to stem cells. One is kind of what most people think about, which is cell replacement, meaning you're taking these stem cells and you're putting them under conditions that will, that these cells will can replace this, the, the cells that we've lost. Um, and the number of, um, there's been a number of uh, trials and, and companies that are trying to develop that. Um, and the idea is that they could regenerate into cells that have been lost as part of the disease. Um, efforts in this area are very early stage. Um, there's been some high-profile um, studies out there talking about, oh, this could be, this holds a lot of promise. But um, and and while there, some of the very early results that have been publicized are promising. Um, the, there's very small numbers of patients. Um, those studies really are to establish safety. And we're a ways away from understanding and, and fully realizing the potential benefits of that technology. Um, that, that's where I would <clears throat> that's as it relates to cell replacement. We're I think we're a ways off in, in seeing that come to clinic. Oh, no, now, appreciate. The, yeah, the second approach, just briefly, um, is basically supportive therapy. So cells that are are aren't replacing cells, but they're pumping out. Um, uh, um, like healthy, healthy factors uh, that can help to repair or uh, or um, re repair damaged cells or prevent further loss. And I think that is a much more viable approach. And there's several development initiatives for that. Well, that's good. One of our callers was wondering, will they ever be able to grow a an entire a whole new retina for replacement in the eye through stem cells? So um, at the moment, so that that's a um, 
I think what I would call kind of a fantastic goal, uh, meaning if we could get to that point, we could really offer um, a lot uh, to, to patients who've been harmed by um, retinal diseases. Um, that's still a, uh, what, what actually the National Eye Institute has identified as an audacious goal. Uh, to try to try to do that, and and there's science that's being conducted to 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 understand how to get to that point, but we're still many years away from that. Yep, that's certainly a great a great goal to to aim for. And uh, what, what now? I'd like to turn to to some uh, questions about nutrition and 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 vitamin supplements. Um, before I do that, I want to remind our listeners. Um, uh, that Bright Focus has a free publication called Macular Degeneration Essential Facts, and it gives some of these specific vitamins and um, and dosages that uh, uh, you know Dr. Mertu may be talking about over the next couple minutes. So I just want to mention this now. So if it's a little hard to to uh, you know take accurate notes about different type of vitamins, I just want to mention that upfront that Bright Focus has a list of that. It's in a free publication called Macular Degeneration Essential Facts. So, uh, Dr. Mato is wondering uh, if you could tell us a little bit about AREDs, and then um, specifically, the first question we have is: Do, do those does the effectiveness of that fade out uh, over years over years of use? Yeah. So the AREDs vitamins um, they come in several different formulations. Um, <clears throat> are basically a cocktail of antioxidant vitamins: uh, vitamin C, vitamin E. Um, uh, has in the past, has in some in form, some formulations includes uh, beta carotene or a form of vitamin A, um, as well as uh, zinc, uh, lutein, zeaxanthine, and copper. Um, that was initially studied in the early 2000s, and then more recently um, in, uh, in, in in the past decade. Um, and the bottom line is that this uh, this cocktail of antioxidant vitamins reduces the risk of progression to advanced macular degeneration, which is primarily um, advancing the risk of developing wet macular degeneration. So my patients who have um, what we call high-risk dry age-related macular degeneration, um, that's the, that, that's the it's, it's patients who are in the early stage of the, of the disease um, who haven't developed necessarily vision consequence, that, those are the patients who are the right um, folks to take this, um, this formulation of, of vitamins. Um, over time, the, the vitamins themselves don't necessarily lose their efficacy, but if, if, if a patient develops more advanced disease in both eyes, so let's say if a patient develops wet macular degeneration in both eyes in spite of the vitamins, then really the utility of the vitamins haven't, um, you know, isn't, isn't really um, applicable anymore, and, and for those patients, I, I tell them to, to, that they can stop it. Um, but, but that's, that's kind of the background um, on those. Um, and then, as I mentioned, I think they come in different formulations. And the convenience of what's, you know, what's available at the drugstore is that they're, everything's in one pill. But if you know the, the correct amounts, you could, in theory, kind of assemble that, that, that um, formulation kind of from its component parts. So there's multiple ways to get there. Fantastic. And one of our callers was wondering, uh, is generic uh, okay in this situation? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think um, with the caveat that you want to make sure that uh, at least the, the, the supplier of the generics is, is a reputable source. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I think it's reasonable um, uh, to, to do generics as long as uh, the, the amounts of the vitamins are equivalent to what's in AREDs and they're not, that it's not at that, uh, su- that significantly higher doses than that. 
Sure. Well, great. And uh, we have a question that came in a few minutes ago that um, Dr. McDo thought was interesting. Is, is there a connection between glaucoma and AMD? Because does having one disease increase the chance of having the other? And you know, both in the glaucoma to macular and macular to glaucoma directions. Like, is there any connection or, or associated um, risk? So um, there's no um, data that suggests that one disease necessarily leads to the other. Um, it's possible that that there might be some overlap in terms of risk factors. So age, I think, is one risk factor that's probably common to both um, because we tend to see it in, in older individuals. Um, and there may be certain environmental risk factors, but the underlying um, path, you know, the underlying disease mechanisms um, uh, for each disease, I think, are unique um, to, to each other. A um, couple, couple new questions have come in. Someone's wondering if they're just diagnosed with dry MD, what's the next path? Do they stay with an optometrist, or, they, or do they need to go to an ophthalmologist or a specialist, or what? What you know, like with the caveat they said, every every individual's an individual. Kind of, what's the, the the what steps come next in terms of what type of practitioner to see? So um, it's a good question, and I think that there's not there's not one right answer. But my, um, my approach um, for those types of patients is I do think that if you do see your ophthalmologist or your optometrist and they're concerned that you have uh, macular degeneration, that it's a good idea to, to at least make an initial visit to a retina specialist um, uh, because it's someone who is trained in understanding this disease and also uh, giving you additional appropriate education and counseling uh, and can also tell you kind of what's latest and up you know, what, what the latest uh, developments and, and up-to-date uh, uh, information is as far as research and new treatment approaches. Um, and then depending on, you know, your specific situation, it may be appropriate to just follow um, with with your regular doctor, regular eye doctor, or or to potentially follow with the retina doctor. And then your, your, your you know, your team of doctors, if you will, can sort of help you make that decision about what's best for you. Great. I appreciate that. And that kind of leads into another question that, that we have. Do you have any, any, any tips or suggestions for how to make your doctor's appointment go as well as possible? Yeah. Um, so I think um, um, there, um, I think, I think one thing is, um, um, you know, making sure that uh, your doc, as you prepare to see a doctor for the first time that uh, uh, any, any health, that they any health information or, or any records from from your um, prior eye doctors that you might have seen that that gets uh, transmitted to your doctor. I think it's helpful to actually take a copy in hand, just in case sometimes uh, things don't don't uh, wires get crossed and, and things don't come through in the mail or email. Um, so that, that's it's good to have a backup on hand. And um, secondly, I think it's a good idea to kind of make a list of, of questions that might come up. Um, uh, so that way you're not sort of scrambling to think about uh, things that, that uh, you know, kind of off the top of your head while you're with the doctor. Um, and I think those are really kind of the, the, the main uh, two things. And then third is just, um, you know, what many, one thing to kind of keep in mind is going to see a retina doctor is very different from, from most eye doctors because um, you're kind of getting sometimes two or three visits in one. You're getting um, imaging tests and you're getting an examination and then sometimes treatment. And so, just kind of understanding, you know, what what all knowing ahead of time what all what all is going to happen, so you can plan accordingly for your time. 
Um, we have a couple a uh, couple of questions that have come in that things we haven't talked about too much in the past. I was wondering, one caller from New York wonders: Is there a relationship between cholesterol and AMD? So that's a great question. Um, there is, um, I think, pretty um, compelling science that suggests that there may be some overlap um, in in the biology of um, um, you know high cholesterol um, and uh, as it relates to uh, as it relates to heart disease and then high cholesterol as it might relate to um, macular degeneration. One theory for how macular degeneration develops is that. Uh, you get a buildup of abnormal um, kind of fat, fat, abnormal fats underneath the retina, and that either serves as a uh, a source of injury to the retinal tissue, or that it serves as a barrier that prevents normal ex- normal exchange of nutrients and and, and waste from those uh, retinal cells. And um, so there ha- there are efforts um, to understand more about those pathways and to develop therapies directed at um, uh, lipid, fat metabolism and lipid metabolism uh, that may overlap with uh, with uh, the biology cholesterol. Well, great, thank you. Next question involves a word that I'm not sure I'm going to pronounce right. It's does the loss of the vitiglio v i t i l i g o vitiglio pigment in the skin have anything to do with um, with AMD? Um, I think they might be talking uh, vitiligo or vitiglio. Vit- Vitiligenous pigment or vitiligo? Yeah. Um, so, um, as to my knowledge, no. Um, I think that um, uh, sort of skin pigmentation disorders, um, there does not appear to be an overlap with uh, age-related uh, macular degeneration. Mm-hmm. Great. We have time for a couple more questions. And, um, you know, we're talking, you're, you're calling us today from the Carolinas, and it seems like we seem to have awful lot of floods and hurricanes and forest fires out west and everything. In terms of someone that that has some some uh, you know vision health uh, issues that they're working with a doctor on, is there the best? How do they best you know prepare for you know some type of natural disaster or the possibility of, of evacuating when they when they they you know they're on daily medication or have some some type of vision uh, uh, vision challenges? I was wondering if you have had thoughts about about that. Yeah, great question. And, um, you know, I think that that is, a, is especially of concern for folks who do live in, in, um, in areas that are, that are vulnerable to uh, adverse weather or, or um, uh, environmental conditions. I think um, it's a good idea to, I think one of the key, th- it's a good idea to really be prepared for that. And, and one of the key things is, is one good personal record keeping. So um, kind of keeping a list of, of you know, all of your um, specific health issues and um, your doctors um, and a list of all your medications. Um, if, you, if you're if you someone, for, like, for example, who, ha- who does have wet macular degeneration, uh, keeping a list of, you know, your history of treatments and, and um, you know, when you had treatment last and what the current plan is for treatment in case, for whatever reason, you have to relocate uh, to, to evacuate to a, um, another area, um, you'll, you'll have all that information kind of ready at, at your fingertips, and that's one less thing you have to kind of um, that that adds, that's one less thing that'll 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 add a layer of stress uh, to your day to day. And then the last thing is is you know as you I think about you know where you may evacuate to and uh, where if in the off chance you may need to have temporary um, 
uh, housing or, or be away from home for a while, uh, that, that you identify, um, uh, you know, potential doctors who you might be able to see in, in the event of that. And the last part, obviously, is more if, you, if, if, if uh, that, that, that threat is, is much more real. But I do think uh, these are things that are, are good to keep in mind in that setting. Well, great, thank you. Yeah, I think it's it's a increasing reality, and I think that the, the ideas you suggest would help lower the stress level during during that difficult time. Um, at the very outset of this today's conversation, you mentioned um, that you're involved with clinical trials, and I was wondering if you could, uh, you know, tell us maybe some questions that people should ask their doctor about clinical trials, or you know, it sort of when that topic is broached in a um, in in an, in an office visit, any suggestions for what the patient should be asking about or thinking about? That's a really good question. Um, I think um, um, clinical trial. I think one of the the clinical trials are are really a fantastic um, um, resource in in a number of ways. Obviously, it's the way that we find out whether drugs could potentially be effective for patients and become more widely available to patients if they're indeed effective. Um, and for for patients, um, particularly those who, you know, may not, um, may be seriously afflicted with these diseases, it offers them potential hope that one of these drugs might work for them. The key underlying all this is just making sure that um, the trial is a good fit for them. Uh, and and some of that is their disease. You know, what it, what is it about their disease that that might make them a good candidate for the trial? Um, what is realistic in terms of expectations? Now, these are these are invest these trials are investigational, meaning that we we are learning about the drug and we don't we we think they could be effective, but we're not sure. But assuming that they are effective, what is reasonable to you know what what could one potentially expect? Um, and then lastly, um, you know what is what's the what's the responsibilities and, and requirements of of the individual patient and their families because. Some trials can be very involved. Uh, there are some trials that last two or three years and require monthly visits throughout that time, and other trials that are shorter. And um, kind of knowing what's expected and, and, and what the commitment is, I think, will help um, patients decide if it's the right fit for them. I have time just for a couple more quick questions. Um, Dr. Matu, um, we have a caller from Texas is asking, uh, what do, you, do you have knowledge or an opinion of, of something called a 4C home monitoring system? That's something that uh, you could yes, uh, I'm, discuss. I'm for a familiar with it. Um, the 4C home uh, monitoring device is, um, is uh, to my knowledge, it's the first um, device or technology that's been approved by the FDA uh, for home monitoring of, det of uh, detecting um, conversion from dry macular degeneration to wet macular degeneration. And um, the, what makes it um, a, a very useful tool in, in our toolbox, so to speak, is that it's trying to detect wet macular regeneration at the earliest possible time, even before symptoms might be noticeable to the patient. And that's important because the studies have shown that the, big, the best predictor of, of, of vision for patients who have wet macular regeneration is the vision at the time of diagnosis. So if we can detect the disease when the vision is good, um, that's that's a lot, and 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 treat and then start treatment and and maintain good vision. That's easier than trying to reverse it when the vision's gone, uh, uh, when the vision's gotten worse. So um, in that respect, I think it, it has the potential to 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 improve patient outcomes. 
Um, it, it, um, it's basically a gadget that will sit on your countertop. Um, you peer into it. it it's uh, mapping out the lumps and bumps in the back of the eye and tries to detect if there's a, if a, lump or a, a new lump or bump forms that could be a new blood vessel. Uh, and then uh, if there is a um, uh, it, if there is uh, something that that's concerning, it sends an alert uh, to a monitoring system, and also which then gets communicated to the doctor. And then there's a there's an opportunity uh, to be checked out to see if if there's a, there's concern for a possible uh, in, you know new new blood vessel that would signify wet macular degeneration. So I, I do think it's a useful tool, and it's worth uh, discussing with. Um, your your doctor uh, to see if they that that would be appropriate uh, for the individual patient. Yeah, thank you. Just to kind of quick follow up on that. Do you know if that tends to be covered by uh, by Medicare or private insurance? So I can tell you, in uh, some of those decisions are are, are made regionally based upon mm-hmm. um, the decision of the local uh, Medicare contractor. Um, but at least here in the southeast, um, it, it has recently been approved to be covered by Medicare. Um, there may be like a copay or some financial responsibility to the patient, but it's the the model is kind of a monthly subscription fee. So in in areas where it is covered by Medicare, uh, Medicare pays a certain amount on behalf of the patient. And uh, there may there may be a small monthly copay that's uh, that 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 the patient may have to uh, or the, or their supplemental insurance has to cover. Yeah, well that's great and thank you. And um, again, if you're interested in in any of the materials that we mentioned uh, on the the chat today, we have a new publication called Understanding Macular Degeneration. We have our clinical trials guide, uh, questions to ask your eye doctor. Um, the AREDS vitamin uh, supplement is is listed in our publication. Uh, macular degeneration essential facts. Uh, we also uh, post a written transcript and an audio file of today's chat on our website, brightfocus.org. That will be up in about in about two weeks. Our next chat will be on Halloween, October 31st. We'll get a chance to um, expand on some of the topics Dr. Matu mentioned today about new drugs uh, that are that are at different stages of the, of the development process. It'll be a great chance to learn about uh, some some promising uh, some promising opportunities. Dr. Matu, you've been uh, just just really helpful. You addressed a, a wide range of issues very very clearly, and and really appreciate that. I was wondering if we can conclude today by do you have any sort of do you find working with your patients that there's a common misperception or a common myth or or something that you you frequently uh, uh, you, you know need to need to address with your patients? That's a good question. I think um, there's probably you know, I don't know if there's necessarily one thing that have that I see uh, often, but I'll try to pick one, perhaps. Um, you know, I, I think um, for for patients with with macular degeneration, um, um, there's oftentimes with with dry macular degeneration, there's oftentimes a thought, well, you know, there's not really any any drugs or treatments. So there's nothing I can do. Um, and I and I, I on the one hand. It is true that there aren't any approved FDA-approved treatments, but I do think, um, you know, staying um, sort of plugged into the healthcare system, um, both by you know seeing the, your eye doctor, and in some cases for folks who have advanced disease, um, getting plugged in with a low vision clinic or vision rehab, and then also pay- appropriate patient and family support groups. I think, I think that there are issues that often relate to our day-to-day life and how we function that can be. Can be addressed uh, practically in, in the way of vision aid, visual aids or 
occupational therapy strategies to sort of improve the, the, the living environment to, to optimize function, uh, and then also uh, to, to have a, support, a network of support um, uh, to, to sort of help cope with some of the challenges that, that arise uh, from, from vision impairment. So, so while we're while we all want to see our efforts move forward uh, to try to identify a drug that's going to help uh, uh, reverse vision loss and improve vision for these patients, um, I think it's important that we uh, we, we sort of look at the, the the whole the whole picture of the patient and their families to try to uh, to try to help support them in the best way possible. Well, that's great, and I really think puts it puts it in a uh, a, a broader perspective. So, again, Dr. Matus, I want to thank you so much for being so generous and so so uh, with your time and so helpful to all of us and to our audience. Really appreciate you uh, joining us again and asking a lot of great questions. Again, the questions we didn't get to today, we we hold on to them and and try to get them asked in in future chats or or addressed in in some fashion. So. Uh, and on behalf of Bright Focus Foundation, I just want to thank Dr. Matu and want to thank all of the all of the listeners. And we hope that you'll be back on October 31st for for our next Bright Focus chat. So, Dr. Matu, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. And on behalf of Bright Focus Foundation, this concludes uh, today's chat. Thank you. The information provided in this recording is a public service of Bright Focus Foundation and is not intended to constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision. Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.